0: Uh, We're coming to um, the last in our current series in in Exodus, uh, where we've reached the Ten Commandments and have slowed down to move through them one by one. Uh, In a moment, therefore, we're going to be looking at Exodus 20. But we've been trying to have a kind of New Testament parallel passage as well. So turn with me, if you would, to Colossians, the book of Colossians, and chapter 3. If you've got one of the church Bibles, it's page 984. Nine eight four of the church bibles colossians 3 so page 984 colossians 3 i'll read from verse 1 just to give you a sort of heads up the 10th commandment we're thinking about this morning is about coveting so hopefully as we read you'll see why we're reading this passage if then you've been raised with christ seek the things that are above where christ is seated at the right hand of god Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are hidden. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all, and in all. Colossians three, uh, and then Exodus twenty, uh, for the Ten Commandments. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. Uh, Exodus chapter twenty. That's page sixty-one in the church Bibles. I'll dive in at the 10th commandment, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbour's house, nor shall you covet your neighbour's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbour's. Let me pray. Lord Jesus you have the words of eternal life um, there is nowhere else we can go uh, we have no hope apart from you and unless you graciously soften our hearts give us ears to hear then we will never understand and so we come to you for mercy allow us this morning to hear you and uh, teach us to repent where we need to repent and rejoice uh, where we see your goodness to us transform us by your spirit again we pray in your own name amen hundred or so years ago uh, one of the wealthiest men on the planet at the time jd rockefeller multi-multi-millionaire uh, was asked how much money does it take to make you happy and his answer has become famous you may know it more always just a bit more Now, Even by the standards of the early 20th century, Rockefeller was far more wealthy than I would have thought all of us in this room put together. Uh, He is more wealthy, or was more wealthy, um, than very likely any of us will ever be. And yet his answer was desperately honest, wasn't it? More. Even he wanted more. There's something about our hearts that tell us we always need something else. It may not be money. Perhaps you're the kind of person who who says, you know what, I'm, I'm pretty a pretty down-to-earth kind of guy i'm a pretty kind of relaxed girl I, I just don't need stuff i see through all that kind of materialism the way the adverts try and tell us that without this razor without this car without this phone I'll, I'll never be at peace i can see that's rubbish what if so good but but there'll be something else in your heart sort of singing away you must have this you must have this you must have this now, perhaps you want more beauty uh, the actress, uh, Julianne Moore, um, again, quite an out-of-date illustration, but as you know by now, none of my pop culture references are in date. Um, she, was a, she was a kind of striking Hollywood actress for the early 20th century in particular. Um, she, she talks about seeing herself on the front cover, of, well, or rather seeing a woman on the front cover of a magazine and saying to a friend, oh, if only I had her looks. Uh, Julianne Moore was a, well, still is, she's alive today, a beautiful Hollywood actress, saw this picture, and thought, oh, if only I could be that beautiful. The irony was, as it turned out, it was her. <laughs> She'd just been airbrushed up so much, she didn't even recognise herself. Even the richest think they need more. Even the most beautiful think they're not beautiful enough. There is something deep within us that keeps telling us you will not be happy until you have, we'll fill in the blank for you, till you have a husband, till you have a girlfriend, till you have children, till you have a promotion, till you have a bigger house, till you have... The list is almost endless. And into to that world and to those hearts, God speaks these words, you shall not covet. And they're words that, 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 that cut us to the bone, if we're honest. So I want to ask three simple questions this morning. The first is this, what is it? What is it to covet? Just, just so we're on the, the right page, what is it to covet? Let me say straight away that it, it, it isn't just to want stuff. Okay. It is not always wrong to want something or, or to desire something. Uh, Paul says, uh, to, when he's writing to Timothy, if someone wants to be an elder, a church leader in other words, he desires a good thing. Yes, it's not wrong. Perhaps some of you want to be an elder. It's not a wrong thing. Uh, Paul says elsewhere in his letter to the Corinthians, if, if you, it's good to desire certain spiritual gifts. that's a good thing. Jesus himself had desires. Think about the time he was hungry and the devil came to tempt him. It was not wrong for Jesus to be hungry, to want to eat. Or his prayer before he goes to the cross in John 17 I desire that they, my people, will be with me in heaven. So the very idea of desire is not a problem. We are built to be needy, we are built to have certain desires. In other words, this command is not a command to be to be a Buddhist in, in, in various forms of Buddhism, that the whole problem with us from a, a Buddhist point of view is that, that we have these desires, and that's what leads to suffering. If you just let go and realise you don't need anything, get rid of all desire, then you just be happy. Uh, but that is neither realistic um, nor well nor God's point of view. So the command not to covet is not a command to never want anything. So what is it? What is is the difference between a legitimate desire and coveting? Coveting says, not I would like, but I must have. I must have this if I'm going to be happy. I must have this if I'm going to be safe. I must have this if I'm going to obey and walk with God. back in the the 17th century, um, a group of ministers, they were kind of Church of England ministers who all decided they would rather be Presbyterian and started Presbyterianism. Um, They met together in Westminster, um, Westminster Abbey, and they they put together a series of questions and answers for children. And one of them, as they go through, one one of the questions asks, what is the meaning of the 10th Commandment? Uh, What does it tell us? What's it telling us to do? We know what it's telling us not to do, cover but what is it telling us to do? And their answer is, to be content in all circumstances. I think that that gets at the idea of coveting. You, You know you're coveting when you're either discontent, you're unhappy with where you are. You know you're keeping the commandment when you're content with your circumstances, whatever they may be. In other words, coveting is a desire for something, a too strong desire for something. That leads you into sin, a desire that's so strong that you've started to believe you must have something that God has not given you, and you can see that in the word of the commandment. Look at verse seventeen with me. The commandment is not simply "you shall not desire," but rather "you shall not covet your neighbour's house." I want something that he's got and I haven't got. And just look at the things you can cover. It starts uh, with the house. I think the house there is not just the the bricks and mortar. Because at this stage, they don't have any bricks and mortar. House is, if you like, a word for his his life. Everything he's got. A bit later in Deuteronomy, when the commandments are repeated, and they've got into the land, so that the people of of, uh, God do have houses, uh, then it's repeated again, and you can take it a bit more literally. Of course, we do covet houses. Life would be so much better if I just had a bigger kitchen, if I just had a a garden, if I just had a house like so-and-so's down the road. If it's not their stuff, uh, perhaps it's your neighbour's wife or, of course, husband. How could you expect me to be happy, God, with the husband you've given me, the wife you've given me? Or perhaps, how could you expect me to be happy given you haven't given me a wife or a husband? if only my my husband was more like her husband just a warning isn't it that actually it is it is often the people closest to us that we're jealous of your neighbor's house your neighbor's wife churches are often pulled apart by internal jealousy um, some of the worst marital breakdowns i've seen uh, have been when people within the church have coveted and then taken someone else's wife, as in two Christians, but you've begun to covet one another's spouses. Uh, on it goes, uh, your male or female servants, or rather his male or female servants, his ox, his donkey, uh, that really is, I think, about... About the status and provisions of your neighbour. A donkey was two things, or an ox and a donkey were two things. They were either means of transport I covet someone else's car, I covered their bike, I... but also they were the way you, you, you produce food. You need an ox or a donkey to plow the field and make your crops and all the rest of it. In other words, they make your life easier. I wish I had, if only I had better kitchen appliances, if only I had whatever latest gadget is that's going to make my life so much better. We're constantly looking at other people and saying, they've got something that I haven't got, Lord, and that is not okay. And our emotions are a giveaway here. Children, on your, on your sheets, your, your colouring sheets, uh, you've got the Ten Commandments, and the tenth one is a picture. Of a monster, isn't it? You see the monster? We sometimes talk about the green-eyed monster. I don't know if you've heard that expression, children. The green-eyed monster is a way of talking about jealousy. It kind of consumes us. I must have it. Maybe you've... One uh, of your, your brothers or sisters has had a birthday party and they've been given a present, and you're really cross about it because you want it. Well, that is coveting. And maybe they've got to choose what's on TV and you haven't got to choose what's on TV. Maybe they've got their favorite dinner and you haven't got your favorite dinner and you're cross and angry, that is coveting. That is what this commandment's all about. And our emotions are the giveaway. Uh, they, they often let us know if our desires have got too strong. Uh, we grumble and chunter. Think of the, the people of, uh, of God, the people of Israel uh, in the time of Moses. Uh, they've been slaves. Uh, for for about 400 years, back-breaking work, no time off, no holidays, just generations of being whipped and beaten by Pharaoh's taskmasters, building store cities from him. And then God comes and rescues them through Moses, gets them out of the uh, slavery, and sets them off towards this land flow with milk and honey, this promised land. And what we find very soon is that they grumble. It's not enough, God. Uh, yes, you freed us. Uh, yes, we're no longer on a death penalty. Yes, we now have this day off. Yes, we're headed to a wonderful place, but we're not there yet, and you're just giving us this manner stuff, and it's not enough. They grumble. Because they covet more. Again, we're very similar. Oh, yes, you've forgiven me, God. I know all that stuff about Jesus. He's died and rose again, and I can go to heaven and all that stuff. Sort of it. But why am I still single? Why is my career stalling? We grumble away. We're angry deep down. We might be able to cover it up. But we're like the Incredible Hulk in The Avengers. Remember that line? Um, you know the Incredible Hulk? He's, you know, he's Dr. Banner. This is actually, uh, Dr. Banner. He's quite up to date, actually. Dr. Banner, he's the scientist, but he can turn into this massive green monster, super strong monster, when he gets angry. And at one point, the big spaceship's going to come and kind of kill them all, and one of the other guys says, you better turn into the Hulk now. Uh, you better get angry. And Banner turns and says, that's my secret, I'm always angry. Now at the time he looks fine, he looks perfectly pleasant. But it's actually quite an insightful line. Deep down many of us are constantly angry. We might not be screaming and shouting, we might put on a very good front, but we're angry on the inside. There's a tension there because we do not have what we want. We do not have the house, the husband, the wife, the career, the children, the money, the looks, whatever it is, and deep down we are angry, angry ultimately at God. Because he is the one who has ordained the world this way. If it doesn't come out in anger, it might come out in fear. I can't be safe until I've got this. And so we're consciously, ang- we're constantly rather anxious Because I'm not secure without this thing. Without more money, I I can't be safe. My future is not secure. Our emotions give us away. So that's what coveting is. It is. Well, why does God care? That's the second question. Why does God care about coveting? If you read through the nine commandments, or sorry, the the first nine commandments, you might well think, well, I can see that. I can see the issue here. Murdering—that's really bad stealing, committing adultery. Okay, it's all really bad. Lying about other people, false witness, getting them sort of chucked in prison when they ought not to be. I, I can see those are serious. And even the first, uh, the first four that are all to do with kind of the worship of God. Okay, God wants us to, to worship him. I can see that. But, but here, he's, is he really concerned about me looking over the hedge at my neighbor's bike and kind of saying, I really want that? Why does it matter so much? Well, it matters so much because God cares about your heart, not just about your outward behaviour. He's not just trying to get kind of robots who do the right things at the right time. It's not just about processes and outcomes, okay? Good, a world where no one kills anyone, no one steals anything. All the way through the Bible, God is concerned about our hearts, that the inner you, if you like, the heart matters. And coveting is all to do with desire. In fact, it is a covetous desire, a wrong desire, that leads us to break the rest of the commandments. Hopefully you pick this up as we go through. Why does someone commit adultery? It only takes a moment to think about it. You, You commit adultery because you covet someone else's wife, or you covet someone who's not your wife. Why do you steal? Same thing, isn't it? I want it, I haven't got it, I'll take it. You can do it with all the commandments. Why do you break the Sabbath day? Well, because I desire to use this time for myself, not God. Why do you dishonor your parents? Because I desire to live for myself. Do what I want, not what they want. On and on you can go with all the commandments. Uh, This commandment... Uh, shows us that all along the Ten Commandments have never been about external behaviour they're about the heart one of the mistakes we sometimes make about the Old Testament is thinking think the Old Testament is all about external stuff and then when Jesus comes along he makes it about the heart but that's not right it's always been about the heart what Jesus is doing is not painting a new picture but scraping the dirt off the picture that was already there uh, the religion of his day had turned it into this kind of outward behaviour these rituals and outward obedience. But Jesus says, no, it's about the heart. Earlier in the service, we read the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are Old Testament commandments, as well, of course, as new. And that's why in the reading from Colossians, we read those words, avoid covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness, which is idolatry. Idolatry is turning to another God. And when we covet, that's what we're doing. But we're saying to God two things. We're saying, first of all, you aren't good enough to me. You aren't good enough to me. You should have given me the husband, the career, the money. A good God would have behaved like that. Don't really love me. And so we turn our hearts from him. We don't love him because we think he doesn't love us. And we pursue these other things. These are the routes to happiness. Covetousness says you haven't been good enough to me. But it also says you aren't good enough for me. You aren't good enough for me. You're not enough, God. Uh, Yes, I can see that you say you are for me. I hear those words you spoke to Abraham I am your God, your shield, and your very great reward. I hear the promise I will be with you, Lord Jesus, Uh, the Lord Jesus' promise. I will be with you to the end of the age. But that's not enough. I was great, but I do also need the house. I do need the kitchen. I do need the husband. I do need the kids. I do need the promotion. I do need the. You are not enough. In other words, the 10th commandment and the 1st commandment really are mirrors of each other. The 1st commandment told us, you shall have no other gods before me. The 10th says, don't covet. Don't desire stuff that hasn't been given you. So what do we do? It's our third question and our final question indeed. What do we do? What can we do? Three things. First of all, we need to see that covetousness is madness. It is madness. God is the greatest thing. God is the greatest good. God is the source of the greatest happiness, the greatest security. I think I've quoted a line before. I heard it at a conference a few years ago, and it's just stuck with me ever since. I almost never remember sermons. Which would be a great relief to, to many of you because I know you can't remember mine either. Um, but I remember being, saying this conference and the, 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 um, the person speaking said, God plus the universe is not greater than God by himself. In other words, if you've got God and then everything God has made, you haven't got more than when you just had God. Now, we want to say, no, but that's just a minute, you've got two things and, uh, you know, two things must be more than one thing. One's God and then God plus you. That must be more. But but paradoxically with God, it's not. And the more and more you think about it, the more that, that, that you sh- we should realise that is right. Because creation is just an image, a picture, a reflection of of, of what all that God is. A reflection, if you like, of his glory. Um, so imagine... Um, a man who's deeply in love with his wife and he's really missing her. She's gone away on, on, to work or whatever. Uh, been away for a few weeks and she, she comes home and um, uh, when, when she comes through the door, he, he happens to be looking in a mirror and he sees her reflection over his shoulder. Okay, so he's looking in the mirror. She's behind him. She, he sees a reflection and she says, uh, "You know, honey, I'm, I'm home. Give me a hug. And he says, no, 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 I can't turn around. I, I don't want to lose the reflection. And she says, don't be stupid. I'm I'm here. <laughs> You don't need the the mirror anymore. He says, No, 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 I need need the reflection. I will not turn. I will not leave the reflection. What would you say to that man? Would you say you're doing something wrong? Well, yeah. But you'd also say, You're being so stupid. It's madness. If if the man also said, No, you must, I will embrace you as long as you come round here and stand next to the mirror. And then I've got the two of you. I've got something more. You don't sustain me stupid. That's not, you haven't gained anything with the reflection if you've got the real thing. God made us to find our greatest delight in him, our greatest happiness in him. The Psalms are full of these kind of prayers. Delight yourself in the Lord. Find your happiness in the Lord, in other words. And he'll give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean... Um, if you do God the favour of finding him really satisfying, then he'll give you everything else you want. He'll give you, the, you know, the computer and the new phone and the wife and the kids or whatever. No, delight yourself in the Lord, find your joy in him, and he will give you the desires of your heart, i.e. he'll give you himself. He doesn't want to hold himself back from you. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. On and on we could go. Coveting is just madness. Because it's saying we need something more than God. But we don't. He is our ultimate end, our goal. Uh, I've got a a nine-month-old little girl. Um, She has a lot of desires. They're pretty simple. She basically desires to eat everything she can touch. Um, You put her on the floor, she will... She will just eat stuff. Okay? If there's dirt on the floor, she'll eat dirt. If there's a bit of paper on the floor, she'll eat the paper. Um, we, therefore, when we're trying to be on our game as parents, uh, we prevent her eating all sorts of stuff. We take stuff away from her. Okay? You're not allowed to eat the 10p. You're not allowed to eat the mud that fell off Daddy's shoes. And she doesn't like that. Okay? She'll cry sometimes. You know, give it back. But we know best <laughs> We know it's better for her to feed on whatever, baby feet, than it is dirt and muck and coins. Why are we taking one thing away from her? Well, in order to give her something much better. And that's what God is doing with us Uh, with this commandment. He's exposing the way that we think what's really going to make us happy is eating dust and dirt when really what will make us properly happy is finding our happiness in him. In other words, God's desire is for our happiness. He wants us to be joyful. He wants to give you himself. He wants you to be satisfied. He doesn't want you to be overcome by this horrible feeling that you need something more all the time. And that covers covetousness, like, it's like eating Pringles. I was thinking about this last night. We had Pringles before dinner last night. Do you know the, the Pringles are crisps? And they, they used to, I don't know if they still do. They used to have that... Um, advertising slogan. Once you pop, you can't stop. Okay, take the lid off of Pringles. Once you start eating them, you just can't stop. I know it's right. Okay, you start eating a Pringle, or if I start eating a Pringle, I'm not going to eat wrong Pringle. <laughs> I am going to keep eating Pringles until my kids take them off me. But they don't satisfy you, do they? Okay, no one has ever finished a tube of Pringles and thought, oh, that was a cracking meal. You know, now, I'm, now I'm healthy. Now I'm full. They just leave you wanting more. All our desires for things that God has not given us, that get too strong, they never satisfy anyway. So it's always fascinating when you, when you hear these people like Rockefeller, who have seemingly everything we want and yet aren't happy. You know the stories, the sportsmen who win gold and then feel so empty. We've got to see that covetousness is madness, because God is the greatest good. Uh, we also need to see It's, it's seriousness. It is serious, this coveting. It's not just a little, oh, you know, the, the, kind of the one on the end of the Ten Commandments It doesn't matter as much as murder and adultery. In fact, Paul says in Romans 7 that it was covetousness that made him realise he was a sinner. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're, you're new to Christianity or you wouldn't call yourself a Christian and you read some of the commandments and think, do you know what? I've never killed anyone. I've never stolen. I've never committed adultery. I'm, I'm, I'm all right. But look at your heart. Think about that command not to covet or if you like it's flip side to be satisfied and content think about the command to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength part of our corruption, part of the problem of what the Bible calls sin is that we don't see how bad we are, we look at ourselves and think well I'm not not so bad that the law is meant to expose how bad we really are It is serious. Uh, It's mad. It's serious. Uh, But also it has an answer. We're meant to see not just it's madness, it's seriousness, but we're meant to see the love of God for us. When you look at your heart, if you're honest and you realise what a mess it is, it can make you want to run away from God. I know the lack of zeal. I know I can sort of be all right on the outside. I know I can keep up an act at church. But do I desire God? Do I love Him? And I start to panic. And that's why it's such good news to hear those words we began the service with come, come to me. In Isaiah, come all who are thirsty. Come to the waters, you who have no money. Come, buy and eat without money, without cost. Jesus, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. If we come to God for mercy, he will give it. The promise of eternal life, the promise of finding our joy in God that will be realized finally in heaven. And the promise is not for those who are perfect on earth, but rather for those who know they're not and know they need mercy, who know their covetous hearts need forgiving. God's desire to save you is far greater than your desire to be saved. His desire to give you joy is far greater than your desire to find it in him. Thank God. And he's shown that at the cross. Although he should have left us, just, just our own devices, should have let us be. All our coveting and lust and greed and hatred, our dishonoring of our fathers and mothers, our breaking of his day, our idolatry. He didn't. He came. He came to earth to bring you home, to forgive you. He loves you when you didn't love him at all. He desires you when you didn't desire him at all. You are saved, in other words, not by your desire for God, but by his desire for you. And so all you need to do is come empty-handed to God through Jesus. And he will have mercy. He will forgive you, however much or however many of the commandments you've broken. And that mercy won't run out. Sometimes Christians think, I ought to be better by now. But yes, you ought. (laughs) But you're not. There is mercy in you every day. Come to him for mercy and for healing. I think of those psalms, to you, O Lord, I lift my soul. I sometimes think about them, you know, praying or something. Like, Lord, i heart is such a mess. My soul is such a mess. It's so full of coveting. I can't deal with it. And you're right, you can't. You won't sort yourself out all on your own in the corner. You need to bring your soul to God and say, look, forgive me, but also change me. And again, the power comes from him. when you realise how much you're loved then you realise how safe you are you realise how little else you really need ultimately the psalm we sung earlier, Psalm 16 in your, in your presence are pleasures forevermore or your right hand are pleasures forevermore there will be sadness in this earth certainly you're very unlikely to get everything you want like a child with an kind of incredibly long Christmas list But God, at the cost of his own son's life, has promised to forgive you and give you eternal joy, to feed you, not with Pringles and rubbish, but to feed you with himself. So that one day, one day, you will see him and be more joyful, more satisfied than you can begin to believe. For now that's by faith, not by sight. But one day it will be by sight. And so therefore, when we see how for us he is, how much he wants to get us home, how much, despite our wonky and corrupt desires, how much he wants to win us back, we know how much he loves us and therefore we can be content with what he's given us in between. Remember, the flip side of the commandment is contentment. If I haven't got the home, the husband, the children, the career, the money, the car, the bike, the gadgets, the gizmos that I want... Ultimately, that's because God has decided not to give them to me for now. Why? Have you ever asked yourself that? The things you'd like, but you haven't got, why do you not have them? The world says, well, you haven't tried hard enough. Work hard, you'll get more money. Be more beautiful, you'll get a spouse. It's about you. But, but, But the Bible says, not really. It is because at the moment, God has chosen not to give you those things. If you think of God as tight and harsh and that'll lead you to hate him. That's what the serpent did in Eden. The God has put that fruit off limits because he is tight and harsh. Coming to God is a path not to blessing and joy, but to sadness, misery, and slavery. But when you see that he's given his own son, when he loves you so much he wants you back, you know that for whatever reason, he hasn't given you this thing. However painful it may be, however much you may weep, it is for your good. You can trust him. You can be content, as Paul says, in all circumstances. You might have lost the reflection, but you've not lost God. And one day he'll give you all things. So on the way, you worship. The only way you can get a taste for food is by eating it, isn't it? I can make an amazing dinner, put it in front of you. You won't know if it's amazing until you eat it. The way you taste God ultimately is, is worship. You come to him and worship you remember or read things about him from his word and you praise him. And it's as you praise him, because we're meant to be people who give out, who worship, as you praise him, well, slowly you'll realise more and more how great he is, how content you can be in him. And at the same time, as you realise you're not finding your contentment in him as much as you should do, we just go around the circle again. The law convicts you. Thank God you're not saved by your own love. You go back to Jesus and say, you still love me. I've heard this a thousand times, I'm still not doing right, but you still love me, you still forgive me. And you realize a little bit more how wonderful he is. Uh, All the commandments, in other words, outside of Christ lead you to despair. But when you're confident in the gospel, they drive you not to despair, but to Christ, where you'll find a welcome, you'll find wide open arms, uh, whoever you are, whatever you've done, you'll find the Father's welcome. Let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, uh, we confess our hearts are, are utter pools of uh, wrong desire, of anger, of greed, of lust, uh, of unbelief. As we tell ourselves we must have things that you've not given us. How uh, We confess we don't see how wicked that is. We didn't see the wickedness of how cold our desire for you is. And yet still you love sinners like us. Still you are willing to give your son that we might be forgiven. And so we do lift our souls to you. We pray for mercy. We pray you'd break the power of covetousness over us. We pray you'd heal us and let us see how great you are. We want to know the joy of knowing you. So pour your spirit on us, renew us, refresh us, bless us and give us the great gift of contentment, we pray, in order that you might be honoured in our lives. Give us this gift, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.